don't, come back. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. No, no, you sit right there. We'll take care of Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 45, which begins with the fuel pod being a real drag. And it ends with Max getting his hands on the loose brake lines. Wrapping up the week with us is the host that gets wilder by the minute. It's Alan Sanders from the Wilder Ride podcast. Hey guys, thanks for bringing me back to cap out the week. I love going into the weekend with something like this, watching a great movie with great friends. All I'm missing is a beer. Oh, hold on. Mm. There we go. I'm all set. So we kick off our minute today with the rig continuing to shake. And Furiosa is the kind of person that is going to handle things. And so while she is frustrated with the fact that something is dragging them from the back, she is already taking steps to handle it. She's starting to tie the steering wheel in place and she says out loud hey i think it's the fuel pod i'm gonna go take care of it and i'm looking at her tie the steering wheel in place and i'm thinking really you're gonna tie the steering wheel so that it only goes straight and we're heading into a canyon you're not gonna just hand the wheel off to someone else it seems a little crazy to me because I don't drive big rigs in a post-apocalyptic wasteland and I have no experience with this. As the layman that I am, it seems a little crazy. Julia, what do you think? Yeah, I would have to agree. She must be like insanely familiar with her rig, which of course she is. It's her rig. But not only that, not only knowing the capabilities of the rig to be able to take care of itself... She also needs to know, okay, I'm going this fast, the canyon is this far away, I can go back there, fix whatever the problem is, and be back before we hit the canyon. That is ballsy. Alan, am I going crazy or is this like a legitimate thing that I just have no experience with? No, I love this. I think this is fantastic. (laughs) No, seriously, I'm kind of with Julie on this. She's so familiar with her rig, and it's not just familiar with her rig, she's done this before. Like, she's not thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to? She's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to tie off the wheel. I'm going to go out there because it's the fuel pod that's dragging. It's either I got to let it go or there's something wrong with the brakes. I either something's come loose. I can make my way all the way to the back of the rig while we still keep trying to escape and get back up here in time. I think that just shows not only what a badass she is, but how good she is and how comfortable she is. Like, this is her world. This rig, we really establish when she's ready to do this that she is 100% comfortable with everything she's doing within this rig. Max has a reputation for being an excellent driver. From the very moment we are introduced to him in Mad Max 79, that's his main thing, being a great driver. I think Furiosa kind of puts him to shame. (laughs) She's so much better than he has ever shown us he can be. That's one thing that bugs me about the opening shot of the movie when he's being chased down. Is I'm like, wait a minute, this is the guy that three other movies is like the, the badass driver who knows how to navigate this wasteland and he gets easily overtaken and then rolls his car. I know that's how it starts and that's the script, but it always bugged me that like he got taken that easily. I think it would have been much cooler if we had started the movie off with a Mad Max 79 caliber chase mm-hmm. where that chase 
it went on for a while. You know, I, I don't think we needed to go on that long for an opening for Fury Road. But it ended with such high stakes, like, excitement. Okay. Something came to me as you were talking about that. Picture it. We start off Mad Max Fury Road in very much the same way that we start off 79 like you were talking. But instead of following MFP officers, we're following War Boys. And in the place of the Knight Rider from the original movie, that's Max. And so you've got these War Boys out on the wasteland and they're communicating back and forth with each other somehow. Maybe they're using mirrors and lights or anything like that. But they are all coming together from different points in the wasteland to converge on this one car that just keeps giving them so much trouble. And then you reveal, oh, hey, this guy is Max. I love it. I think that would have been so much fun. Yeah. I think that's what it missed. We needed something where we could see Max at least maybe, much like you said in the, the very first Mad Max film, maybe he sees you know a converging of two you know war parties and he hits his brakes at the last second and somebody shoots the other one and he kind of spins around. At least... Show some evasive maneuver. Wait till he gets overwhelmed and then let him wipe out. You know, it just felt we got too easily into he got a, he got taken. Yeah, we really glossed over it in that first week, I think, because we were talking to Mark the way that we did. But the war boys catch up to and surround Max so quickly that he doesn't have space to show off his driving ability. And that is a real shame. Yeah. And getting back into this minute specifically, sure. Max could hop over into the driver's seat if anything did happen. I mean, we're going to see that later on. But I have a feeling that the reason that Max says, no, 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 Furiosa, don't you go anywhere. I will take care of the fuel pod is a because he doesn't want to sit in a cab with no driver. But I think he also wants to make sure that Furiosa isn't going to climb out of the rig, go around to the other side and then sneak attack him from behind. Right, because we know that there were guns and other weaponry hidden all over the inside of that cab. And we have one example of a gun being hidden outside the cab. There are more. I can guarantee you there are more weapons outside that cab somewhere. So it's entirely plausible for her to go get one and then sneak up on Max. Alan, why do you think Max volunteered to go take care of it? Okay, that's an interesting question because I don't sense... I don't disagree. That's it's a great point that he would rather keep her driving. And if she's got both hands on the wheel, she's not necessarily shooting him. But of course, <laughs> one could also argue if you want to go down that path, if he leaves the cab, how does he know she doesn't still have a weapon under her seat? And that when he comes back, she's going to have a gun in her hand anyway. And so I just felt he just didn't want her outside. She's driving. It's her rig. Keep her driving. She knows where they're going. He doesn't know where they're going. It's obvious she has a plan. I don't want to take a, 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 a because you could you could argue, well, he's the man. He's going to go out there. I don't think that's it. I do think he wants to keep her in the driver's seat mm-hmm. that whatever it is, it's a it's, it's a simple enough task that it doesn't require her. So like the captain of the ship doesn't go down to figure out why the torpedoes aren't loading in, in the submarine. Right. You're the captain. You stay up here. We will send a grunt to go do it. As far as the weapon potential goes, it's a lose lose. Oh, yeah, because either way, he's got to take his eyes off of her. Yeah, there could be weapons anywhere. So if he leaves her presence, she can find one, Mm -hmm. which she does. As an actor, his body language and his tone doesn't seem one of fear or worry. It's of, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to go. It's not male or female. It's just it doesn't make sense 
for you to go. You stay. You're driving. I'll go take a look. It's going back to that whole we're in a wasteland. We don't have the luxury of discriminating like Max has a set of skills that he can contribute to this situation. And I think the phrase is game recognizes game in this situation where Max is like, okay, you've already shown during the initial chase where I was tied to the front of a car that you are able to drive. Let's keep you in that position. And I'll just like you said, Alan, do the grunt work. Mm -hmm. But what I like about this is that as Max takes the gun bag and sloughs it over his shoulder and he starts exiting the vehicle, he does so backwards. He kind of pulls a Ginger Rogers because he knows better than to turn his back on any of the people in this rig. Yeah, even in this moment where there is a problem with the object that is going to save all of them, in this moment they're in it together. But even through that, he's not ready to trust them at all Mm -hmm. yet. Can we also not forget that what we talked about Wednesday, there are encroaching war parties on their position and it's obvious to Max, she's running from them. He doesn't want to go back to them. So they're sort of, you know, misery loves company. They're forced (laughs) to work together. Yeah. And so Max does a sort of monkey scramble out the door and onto the roof of the war rig. And one thing that I really like as Max in this wide shot is climbing up to the top of the rig. You can see Ang Harrod slips into the passenger seat in the front there, because I'm sure five people across in that back seat has got to be just a little bit more snug than they'd care to admit. Yeah. When we get a view of all five of them back there, they are practically sitting on top of each other. And I like that Max has presence of mind to use his left leg to close (laughs) the door behind him as he gets up on top. Yeah. It's like, we don't want to leave this hanging open. You know, somebody could fall. He wasn't born in a barn. (laughs) He knows his way around a war wagon. Yeah. And as Max leaps to the tanker, we cut back inside the rig and we get the payoff to that glance that we saw the other day. As Furiosa reaches over to the shifter and she pops the top off. And Julia, like you mentioned, that Road Warrior reference, she's got a femur attached to something pointy. Yes. This move of hers felt a little expositional. She knows there's a blade in there. Why is she checking on it? Because the audience is dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Furiosa doesn't know there's an audience. I think this move is pointless. Alan, what do you think? Oh, I love it. I love it because she's like kind of confirming. Yep. Just want to make sure that I can pull it out, that it's not stuck. It didn't get maybe any uh, rust in there that it's sort of like going to be hard. I want to make sure I can pull it out as quickly as I remember the last time I used it. I wonder if she's checking it because A, the dust, but also... With all the rattling around that the rig was just experiencing, she wanted to make sure that it wasn't catching on something weird. There is a thing that people in charge will do. They'll want to check and double check to make sure that things are going to work well when the time comes. It it happens a lot from the higher ups at the place where I work, where they want me to go into a space and check and double check that something is working before they need to use it. I could have all the confidence in the world, but if I don't go in and make sure that you can pull out that knife when it needs to come out, metaphorically speaking, they just don't feel comfortable in that space. It could also be that Furiosa is pulling out this knife to just show the wives, don't worry, I still am armed in a way. I don't know. (laughs) It's probably just because the audience is dumb and we needed to see. It's a Chekhov's gun situation. Yeah, if, if you didn't understand the glance earlier, I see Julia's point. But I also 
you know, you're never going to leave anything to chance in this world because I guarantee you there's plenty of stories working around where you thought something was there. You thought it was going to work and then someone ends up dead and she's just making sure not only is it's there, she obviously sees the shaft, but it's fully functioning. It comes out. It's sharp. I can put it back. I'm ready when he comes back. I also see it as another reference to Road Warrior because clever people hide blades around their vehicles. It's very much how Max was hiding a knife next to the explosive booby trap disarmament thing Mm -hmm. that he had underneath his interceptor. And the gyro captain had to stop him and be like, I'm going to pin your head to this panel if you pull out a knife. I swear. (laughs) A clever man might have a weapon under there. I'd have to pin his head to the panel. (laughs) <laughs> this gear shaft reminded me of a Harry Potter reference. Okay. Of course, because it's been a while since I've referenced Harry Potter. True. Uh, Lucius Malfoy's wand is similarly stuck inside of his walking cane with a snake head as the mm. femur bone. So Furiosa's got her own wand hidden away, except it only casts a few spells. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's that slashing one from the Half-Blood Prince? Oh, uh, Septim Sepra. There we go. It casts Sector that Sempra. one. <laughs> that one. I know of the movie, but I don't know the spells. I'm not that. I'm a big Harry Potter nerd. Thanks to all my girls. I think we've read all the books. I know I've only read them maybe three or four times from start to finish. They they've read those books so much. I know we've we've shifted. This is Julia's fault. She brought up Harry Potter, but <laughs> we bought an entire new series of hardbacks because they were literally falling apart just from being read that much. It was amazing. So we'll do Harry Potter marathons, by the way. I'll do the Mad Max marathon, skipping third one for some reason. But (laughs) we'll do a a weekend of just nothing. But we'll start with one and finish up with number seven, part one and two. Hey, I got a question about the second 35. Okay. When he dumps the carpet bag, when did he stuff his leather jacket in there? That is a good question, because not only does he have the leather jacket in the bag, he also has the long rifle, the Chinese SKS. And I'm pretty sure he also has the longer shotgun tossed in there too. So there are guns that he's thrown into that bag that we missed him putting them in there. Like you're not seeing things. Those are stuff we legitimately did not see. Right. So maybe the knife from the window by Furiosa is in there as well. Perhaps. Max has said before, he's a fairy princess. He's probably got some sort of magic that he's able to Accio stuff into the bag. (laughs) Accio shotgun. Exactly. Well, I was wondering, you know, we didn't talk about it maybe in terms of time from uh, Monday to Wednesday of this past week, but just because they're still in the rig, I wonder, there was a moment where it felt like we're supposed to guess that they're suddenly after he started to collect the weapons, that it's almost like it could be a minute later, but it also could be an hour later before this next thing happens of of noticing the, the other war parties. So maybe we're supposed to get the idea that it's not necessarily 100% you know, continuous that there's been some kind of a, a momentary pause that we don't see because it's 10 minutes of just driving before the action picks up. I mean, that makes sense to me. You definitely don't need to show every single minute of driving in this movie for sure. By the way, the file is back in the right direction where it's supposed to be mm-hmm. as he gets out, which is amazing because he decides to go <laughs> out and do all this maneuvering while the file's still stuck in his head. I know he needs to do for that for a later minute, but So now he's got his jacket back, he's got his file back in his head, and he's uh, crawling across. And I love that Max brings his jacket along and then puts it on, because that is his jacket, 
and he was deprived of it and he had to physically steal it back. And so now he's just getting that familiarity back around his shoulders, getting back up to the max that we know that he is. Of course, the problem with the file is we see it again and then it disappears again, depending on which shot you're in, because as he's running across the rig on the long shot, there's nothing anywhere protruding off of his head. So it's just one of those, it's a reappearing, disappearing file because then it's back around 47 seconds with the close up of him going down and it's there as he's crawling down underneath to uh, reattach the pipes or the, the hoses for the, for the brakes. But then I think as you see him put the hose, yeah, it's still there. Okay. So you only don't see it when he's running across the rig on the long shot. And that shot is so far out. I'm surprised that you're able to see something like that because I'm mostly distracted in that wide shot. By the fact that Nux is hanging from the bottom of that tanker, slowly making his way forward. And I'm sure he's going that route because it's the most stealthy of the routes. No one expects an attack from below. Well, I suspect that he knew exactly what was going to happen. He's going to pull the brakes on the fuel pod. It's going to cause a disturbance in their driving ability. Someone is going to go back there to fix it. Probably without stopping because there are people bearing down on them. So that would leave one less fighting person in the cab who is going to go over the top. So he's going to go under the bottom and hit the cab while there's one less person in there. That's a very good point. And they would probably send their most capable person to the back, to the fuel pod. Yeah, but capable stayed behind. (laughs) Oh, come on. You gave me that look. That was a good one. Come on. There are more than one capable people in this rig. <laughs> That's a really good point, though, that Julia mentions. This, is for Nux being sort of like just this fodder for war, war boy, is pretty darn smart to be able to... He knew someone was going to come... Either it was going to slow the rig down, which is what his ultimate goal, or someone was going to come back. Either way, he knew they would more than likely take the easier route coming across the top of the wagon, so he wasn't going to come across the top himself. He was going to take a more difficult path but more stealthy and less likely to be caught. So as Max reaches the back of the tanker, we get another wide angle and Nux doesn't actually start climbing up into the tanker until we see him next week. But as we join Max, this is the very tail end of the minute, but he reaches down and he grabs the brake lines because, you know, without that hydraulic line, the brakes are just going to lock up as a security measure. And I want to believe that Nux disconnected the brakes on purpose. I want to believe that was his thinking and that he wasn't going from the fuel pod underneath the tanker and then accidentally kicked the line free. Oh, it didn't even occur to me that it was an accident. Me neither. I assumed it was was his version of sabotaging the rig. Mm. After all, Nux is a blackfinger. That is his designation, I guess, as a driver. He knows the ins and outs of all of these vehicles that work at the Citadel, so... Of course, he would know exactly what to pull. He wouldn't pull all of the lines. He would only pull the one that would specifically do the thing he wants it to do. Well, what's nice about doing that here, or at least establishing maybe very, very, just a slight bit of this technical knowledge, it then makes it much more plausible later in the movie when he understands the rig and knows not only how to drive it, what it's capable of. And so we say, oh, well, of course, because he knew the lines, which lines to pull earlier. So it becomes, you know, one of those things where you look back and go, well, yeah, he's very familiar with the mechanics of this rig. Absolutely. You know, we, since we're talking about the very tail end here, one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about in terms of cinematography, uh, it did win an award. 
I love the shot of really low, almost even with the axle of the of the wheels of the uh, the, the fuel pod. We get a shot of it almost like cutting across the screen. We get an insert of Max getting ready to climb down. But then there's a wonderful shot back where it almost looks like whoever's driving the camera truck was going to run actually into the back wheels. And that sudden sense of nearly almost being on top of the of the tires is just so like, oh, like you catch your breath like, holy God, I'm almost inside these wheels. And I love that shot. Yeah, right around second 47 or 48, somewhere in between. Yeah, we get right up close getting to see the custom rims that the Citadel has made with all I mean, of those if, spiky armor bits. You know, if you pause it at like second 49, you see the literal tire, you know, tread <laughs> in your face. Like the camera is literally on top of the tire. Yeah. It's amazing. It's an amazing shot that they, however they did that shot to get the dust and to get the, and the frenetic movement of the camera sliding in there. It really, it's just, this is, a, this is a fantastic movie. There's, there's not a bad shot in this whole thing. I know we've heard it before that you could probably take any frame from this movie and it would just be so perfectly put together that there's that YouTube channel, Every Frame a Painting. And when it comes to movies, this is definitely one of those movies. I'm not going to say that every single last frame, because some of them are really blurry from action happening, but you get the idea. <laughs> I think... You know, and I know George Miller said I wanted to do one of two things. Either this was going to be super colorful because I'm tired of every post-apocalyptic movie has to be bleak and dull and bleached out or I'm doing it black and white. Mm. What do you think? Because I know there is a release of the movie now there. I don't know if it's just only YouTube or I've, I've seen scenes of just or maybe somebody went and did a black and white. But do you think this movie would have worked as well as a black and white? So I think you're talking about the black and chrome edition. We have a copy of it on Blu-ray and we haven't watched it yet on purpose. Okay. Because we're saving that for the end of the movie. After we've gone through all of the other minutes, the plan is that we're going to sit down and we're going to watch the black and chrome edition. That way we can compare and contrast based on all of the conversations we've had before related to the movie. I have not actually seen any of it yet and I'm actually really looking forward to it. The shots I've seen on YouTube clips, some of the stuff when they talked about that, the, the, the special release in black and chrome is interesting looking. I just don't know. I think it's one of those things where I'd like to have them both, mm. but I don't know if I'd ever go back to just I want to watch the black and chrome one. I'd like I really like the hyper color, really bright. I mean, this movie is just gorgeous as is. Mm. I'll be interested to hear your take, you and Julia, when you get a chance to, to watch it. Because like I said, I watch the scenes and I can appreciate that, you know, that sort of callback to a to a black and white or in the case of they're calling it the black and chrome edition. But I just it's so hard because I I love the movie so much in its theatrical form. It's hard for me to see it any other way. Mm. So that pretty much brings us to the end of the minute. This is uh, last call. If anybody has anything they want to say about this week in particular or maybe the movie as a whole. Well, one thing early on, can I ask, do you think Charlize Theron ADR'd her little grunt? Because it doesn't feel like it matches her mouth. Oh, there were so many lines in this movie that were ADR'd. And so I'm willing to bet if it looks ADR'd, it was absolutely ADR'd. Because I almost thought it wasn't even her, the little, you know, it didn't, (laughs) I, I think it is her, but it just, it's almost like it doesn't feel right. 
for what's happening. It's almost like her mouth closes too soon for the sound and then it doesn't feel right. And then when she starts talking about, I think it's the fuel pod. It sounds, it sounds like her. It's just mm-hmm. that grunt feels weird. <laughs> Sorry. That's just a note I had. I wanted to cover. I did want to say this. I thought this was great when directors of action movies and, and other movies can just look at this film and we're like jaw dropped. And I had a, a little bit of a quote I had found at a screening of some of the footage back uh, before the movie came out at the South by Southwest Film Festival. Apparently George Miller was there. He was just saying like, here's this movie I'm working on. Here's some of the stuff. Here's some of the chase scenes. Suddenly a man stood up in the very back of the room and said, how the hell did you film that? And it turns out that it was director Robert Rodriguez who was there, who was just blown away by what this, you know, 70 plus year old director was doing in terms of action and adventure in a way that it was just breathtaking and fresh and new. That tickles me to no end because Robert Rodriguez is the kind of director who got his start doing low budget action style movies. Like I think El Mariachi was his first one. Yeah. And that was shot on a shoestring budget down in Mexico and just coming from a place that you would not expect an action movie to come. And then it just launched his career. And it's a very similar story to what you see coming from George Miller shot out in the country from a place that you don't expect a big action movie to go on a short on a shoestring budget. And then out of nowhere, it explodes a series of movies because El Mariachi moved on to other movies starring, I think it was an Antonio Banderas, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And it just went on from there. And it's interesting that it's Robert Rodriguez because he also had a long history of action movies. And then he had an had a period where he was doing a lot of kid movies, specifically the spy kid movies. And George Miller kind of did the same thing. So you could almost argue that Robert Rodriguez is kind of following in George Miller's footsteps. Yeah. In terms of career arc, the Mexican equivalent to the Australian director, (laughs) George Miller. (laughs) No, I could see that. And I mean, George Miller has said that there was that period when he had, well, I think it was his grandkids. And so he started moving to softer, more kid friendly movies because that's just kind of the world he was in. And now he was back to thinking about this violent world of Mad Max. I should, for the sticklers out there, Robert Rodriguez is Texan, not Mexican, but he shot El Mariachi in Mexico. So, yeah. you know, don't get on my case. Don't at me. <laughs> please, please don't at me. <laughs> One of the notes I had is this is the wrap up. I think it's interesting that in in 2016, the movies that had a lot of actors nominated for best supporting actor, best actress, best supporting all the acting positions. Most of those movies did not get nominated for best picture. And yet this movie had no actors at all nominated at all for any of their roles. And yet it was nominated for best picture. And it did win uh, six Oscars for for folks who go. It's a dumb action movie car chase. Yeah, well, guess what? It won six Oscars. And so I had written those down. I don't know if you've already talked about them, but I had it down. Best achievement in film editing goes to his wife, Margaret Sixel, which I think is amazing. She said, why do you want me to edit this? And he said, because you're going to edit an action movie different than a man would. Then it got best achievement in costume design, best achievement in makeup and hairstyling, Best Achievement in Sound Mixing, which, by the way, if you don't have a surround sound theater to watch this, you, you're missing out. Best Achievement in Sound Editing, and then Best Achievement in Production Design, which, by the way, every single shot, whether you're on the rigs, whether you're watching 
uh, the Citadel while you're watching just the landscape. It is a beautifully shot film and that production design it's world building. I believe I'm in this world. It's not a set. It's not somewhere that's, Oh, I can see the wires and I can see the backdrop and they're trying to hide that there's a city back there. It is world building. And when anytime I'm sucked in, yeah, a well-deserving Oscar for that. Absolutely. No argument from us. So here at the end of the week, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anywhere in particular you would like to point our listeners to find more of your content? Oh, sure. I'd love for folks to come on over if uh, you need a break from all of this George Miller action and you need to like laugh a little bit. Actually, we're in the midst of the desert ourselves, just a different desert. We're in uh, Rock Ridge as we are uh, getting very close to the end of season two ourselves right now. We are diving into Blazing Saddles for our second season. We are called The Wilder Ride. That's the name of our podcast. And we look at the films of Gene Wilder, much like you guys. We look at one minute of the movie at a time. And it's just been a lot of fun to dive into a satire that is now 45 years old. And in some ways, the message behind it is as relevant today as it was back in 1974. Absolutely. So go check out that for good content. As for us, we are here at the end of week 15. We'll be back on Monday when Max will finally get through that lock in his muzzle and free his face. Meanwhile, we're going to have next launching a sneak attack and the wives are going to start acting with a little bit more agency than they've been showing so far so come back for that the mad max minute podcast is a fan project by rick and julia ingham mad max franchise was created by george miller and byron kennedy is presented by kennedy miller mitchell productions and distributed by warner brothers mad max minute is produced and edited by rick ingham our opening music is verdi's ds Irae by daniel batista of danielbatista.com our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 45 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.